If you have your Bibles, do me a favor and find the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're just going to camp out there this evening. We're going to hang out there and just look at what God has to say to us this evening. Uh, as you're turning to the book of Deuteronomy, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. And just remember the rules. In a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer out loud. In fact, it's probably sometimes better you don't answer out loud. Okay? It's rhetorical. It's between you and your brain. Okay? And, and so here's the question I want to ask. Simply put, what or whom do you love? What or whom do you love? And the second question is this, how do you show it? What or whom do you love and how do you show it? That's just going to be how we're going to hang out, where we're going to hang out tonight is just right there on those two questions, just sort of, you know, what I like to say, camp out right there. We're just going to be right there, and the question is, what or whom do you love, and how do you show it? And there's so many ways that we could answer that question, so many ways that we could just come up, you know, how or what do I love? For many of us in the room, it may have just immediately gone to that significant person in our lives, our spouse, or, you know, the person maybe we're in that dating relationship with. Or it could be just a family member or a special someone, a, you know, it could be a grandparent. It could be a number of people that when we say, who do you love? could have gone to that. Or, you know, for some in the room, it could have gone to, what do I love? And it could be your favorite sports team. You know, which I'm not even going to say a favorite sports team, because that just leads to unloving attitudes. But here's what I know. I'm a graduate of Arizona State, okay? I, I am a Sun Devil. I love my alma mater. And I'm offended when someone speaks ill of my alma mater, Okay? Dim's fighting words is what we say. You know, you speak bad about my school, we, we might have to throw down. It's awkward as a pastor to say that. So, um, <laughs> but stick with me. Um, we're, we're often associated with the things we love. We're often associated with how we say we love stuff and what we say we love. We throw this word love around, and a lot of it is an attempt to describe the emotional attachment that we have towards something. You know, we often are associated by the things that we love. This love word is crazy. We can talk about loving many things, but here's, you know, are we willing to weigh them against the standards of serving them or obeying them or observing what they've asked us to do or even turning to them in our time of needs? See, we toss this word around, but it looks much different when we look at it through the scope and the lens of God. For instance, I could say, I love steak. Am I willing to serve steak? Well, if you're coming over to my house, I might serve steak. I love green beans. I might serve green beans with steak. But I'm never going to bow down to a steak. I'm never going to give my heart to a steak. I might give my taste buds. Somebody say amen. All right, you're just with me. So, when we say, you know, I love green beans, I love steak, but are we willing to serve them? We might serve them with dinner, but we might not bow down to them. We'd never obey green beans or steak. We would never give green beans or steak our undivided attention. Or some of us might say, you know what, I love the Broncos. And I would say, after this past year, why? <laughs> but that's just me. I'm not a native Coloradan. I'm a fair-weather fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. But see, to, to love the Lord is rooted in much different aspects. God is the only one truly worthy to obey, worthy to 
give our service to worthy to turn towards incomplete observation. And, and he's the only one worth living for. All these other things we throw love around with gets mixed up. And the word gets muddied and gets overused. And so tonight, I just want to, you know, I've, been, I've titled the talk, I've titled our sermon, Heart to Heart. Because when I look at the scripture that we're going to just look at here in just a minute, when I read through it, it, it's as if this section of scripture, I'm a reminder of those heart-to-heart talks that are often necessary in life. You know, at some point in life, you've probably found yourself in one of those deep discussions, that, that heart-to-heart with that other person. It's that deep conversation made with a close friend or that special someone. It, it, it's where you, you're free to talk about how you feel. You know, it's where they say, I, I just want to get, get my feelings out. You know, and they just got kind to of get out this emotion. Okay, maybe that's my world. But you know when they say, hey, we're going to have a heart-to-heart. For me, when they say we're going to have a heart-to-heart, I get nervous. I'm like, really? Is that necessary? What? I, I'm fine. What do we need to have a heart-to-heart with? But, you know, heart-to-heart comes in a relationship with that other person when you have maybe been dating them. And it's time that they want to take it to the next level. They want more out of the relationship. They want to, oh, there it is, that word, commitment. (laughs) I knew I could say it. I knew I could do it. It's that DTR moment. It's where they say we're going to define the relationship. And you're going, why? Now, I'm just speaking for most guys. Not all guys, I'm not going to assume you all have this nervousness when say, let's define the relationship. You're going, we're cool, right? What, what do you need? Why, why can't we just keep things how they are? And the DTR always gets awkward. You know, you look at that special person and you explain how you feel and they express your love and you explain that from this point on you want to be in that committed relationship, you know, where it's like, you know, where we're, and then you realize third grade just isn't the place to have this conversation. <laughs> And so you say, let's just be friends. And then you grow, and as you grow, hopefully you mature. You don't stay back in the third grade. But as you grow, and hopefully your maturity grows and your love grows, and then you get into this relationship where you define it. You're like, you know what? We're going to commit to each other. And we're going to stay committed, and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, we get older. And I think as we look at this, this is what Moses had to say about the relationship between God and the Israelites. See, Moses is having this heart-to-heart. He's explaining the importance and the benefits of loving God with undivided loyalty and faithfulness. So I just want to walk through this section of the Bible and and see how we are to love God. Then I want us to transition to why this is so important. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. And it says this. Hear, O Israel. Let me just stop right there. He says, hear, okay? And hear is different than just listening, okay? When he's saying, hear, O Israel, he's saying, look, you need to pay attention. You need to obey. What I'm about to say to you is important because this is how you're supposed to live out your life. He's not saying, hey, just sort of nonchalantly pass by this. He's saying, hear. And oftentimes, it's, it's where, you know, we can listen to stuff, but we don't always hear what's being said, so Moses isn't saying, hey, you know, I'm just going to flap my lip for a little bit. If you pick up on some of it, great. He's saying, hear this, Israel. This is important. I want you to understand this. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments 
that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So they're saying, look, this is how we need to do it. So how? Let's get down to the how. How do we love God? How do we, how's this loving thing, loving God going to play out in our lives? And the first of this is from God's heart to our heart. It's that heart to heart, from God's heart to our heart. Okay, understand it. He says, look, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. We're told that we should love God with our heart and our soul and our strength. What Moses is saying here, what the Israelites would understand is that he's saying, look, you should love God with everything you have with your whole being, not just a little bit on the side. With everything you have should be poured into loving God. It's not a little afterthought, you know what, I'm going to go through the busyness of life, and when I have some leftover, I'm going to love God. He's saying everything you had should center on and focus on and pour out in loving God. The one God, the, the only true God. He's not saying just a little bit, but everything. Long before we ever knew there was a God, God loved us. And so when we talk about loving God, we've got to understand that long before you and I ever comprehended there was a God, God loved us. God loved us. God created us. He formed us into his image. He breathed life into us. He provides for us, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that we may have salvation. And he's saying, look, I love you. I'm giving you everything. And since the beginning, he wanted nothing more from mankind but to be loved back, for us to pour that love back into him, to love him as he's loved us. So here in the Old Testament, we see God's heart being displayed through Moses declaring, love the Lord. And here's the thing we've got to remember when it comes to love. The things we love, we value. The, the things we love, we value. And, and you could tell what you value, value by how you, not, how you value. I'll get this out. i got it written here, and I can do this. And you could tell what you value by how you live, not necessarily by what you believe. What we love is played out by how we live, not necessarily how we believe. And here's, let me just unpack that. Our values are expressed by how much we live out our lives each day. Have you ever said, I trust in the Lord? You know, we, we say, I trust in the Lord, and then when things go south, we kind of freak out. Do we value what God can do in our lives, or are we trusting in ourselves? See, so we basically become a functional atheist where we say, I trust in the Lord, but when things go south, when things get rough, we're going, ah, but not in this moment. Instead of saying, I trust in God. I trust in the Lord with everything. And I'm going to live my life based on that value that God is capable, God is big enough, and God can handle whatever comes my way. And I'm going to rest right there knowing that God has got this. You know, it doesn't matter what we walk through, but a lot of times we say, I love you, Lord, until things get bad. We say, I love you, Lord, until I want to take back control. Here's the funny part. We don't get to dictate what love looks like towards God. See, we don't get to love God just on our terms. We say, I love you, God, as long as I can do it this way. We say, God, I love you based on how you asked us to love you. I may believe God is trustworthy, but when things get tough, do I still believe he's capable? 
Do I value what he says he can do? Or do I lose sight and just simply panic? See, this, this love word, we throw it around a lot. We say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But a lot of times when we approach God, we do it out of obligation. Valentine's Day was just a, a couple weeks ago. You know, ladies, what, what would it be like, ladies, if, you know, that special someone, maybe husband, boyfriend, maybe it's your son, who knows what, walked up to you with chocolates or candy or something and said, I'm obligated to do this. make you feel kind of special, wouldn't it? You know, or if you open up the card and said, I love you because I'm obligated to. I'm forced to love you. Imagine looking into the person's eyes that you love and and staring deeply into your eyes. You're having one of those moments. You know, you finished the DTR and now you're just having that moment where you're staring into uh, their, their eyes and they say, I love you with all my heart. And you respond, but I love you with all my brain. Because I, I can comprehend what love is. I, I, I can think about it. But it takes a long way, that 18 inches from the mind to the heart. To say, you know what, I'm going to take it from knowing what love is to actually having it into my heart, to actually having it go out to my hands and through my mouth to say, I love you and my actions are going to show that I love you. It wouldn't be special at all. In fact, in many relationships, if we approach it out of obligation, out of just a head thing, it might make things worse. Instead, we give these gifts and we say, I love you with all my heart. And we don't approach this thing we love with just a sense of duty or obligation. See, God wants relationship with us. He doesn't want us just to follow him out of obligation. He says, look, I've I've done all this and I just want you to love me. And when we set our hearts on the things of God, our lives change. And that's what God's all about. He said, I want to transform you. I want to change you. I want to pour into you that you're no longer the same. I want you to love because I want to pour my heart into you. And when you receive my heart, your heart should change. We should not be the same people or act like the same people we were before we accepted Christ. We should be new in Christ. God loved us enough to change who we are, to pour into us, to allow us to be new, to take on who he is, to become more like him. This change begins with who we are inside and what we put into our heart. It isn't just gutlessness. It isn't just pushing through. It isn't just the obligation to love God. It's pouring our hearts out. In sports, we use the term, put your heart into it. You know, as I coach football, a lot of times I find myself, and I'm yelling at these kids going, put your heart into it. But that's really not even what we mean. What we mean is put some more oomph into it, put some more muscle into it, some more gun. And when we say put our heart into it, it's saying, you know what, my emotions are going to line up with my actions. If I love Jesus, if I love God for who he is, like they said, love God, then my actions should follow as if I love God. See, I can't sit back and act as the world and say I love God and look like the world. i got to look more like him. i got to look more like Jesus. If I claim to have Christ in my life and to say, God, I love you, then my life should reflect more of him and less of me. Put your heart into it. See, Psalms 119.30 says this, I've chosen the way of truth. I've set my heart on your laws. It's a choice. Say, I chose you, God. I, I, I chose 
the way of faithfulness. I've chosen who you are. I've chosen your love, God, and now I need to put my heart into it. I need to live out this love. I need to show this love. I need to take it from the brain to the heart, from the heart to the hands and the mouth to live it out and say, what? God, I love you. And I, I wonder, and I'm just going to jump off with notes here for me. I wonder what it would be like in our society, in, in Pueblo. Okay, I'm not going to go to the ends of the earth. In Pueblo, what would it be like if we truly lived out this love that God has poured into us, back to him and back to each other? What if our hands and feet became the hands and feet of God? What if we went because he called us to go? What if we spoke because he told us to? So there are people that we come into contact every day that need to know this love. And we have the answers. And I'm not pointing fingers because there's a lot of times I just walk by them. But what would it be like if I consciously had the opportunity to say, well, God, I love you and I'm going to show it today to everybody I come into contact with. I'm going to put my heart into it. Psalms 119, 112 says this, My heart is set on keeping your decrees, not just for a little while, it says, but to the very end. This is kind of like, you know, I'm not just going to have this mountaintop experience where, the mountaintop experience where we spend time with God, we're on that mountaintop, we're on that high, we're saying, God, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do, and then we come down off the mountain and say, except for that, God. I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do this, it's just too tough. Instead, what the psalmist here says, my heart is set on keeping your laws, your decrees to the very ends. And then there's even a biblical warning against not setting our heart on God. In Malachi 2, 2, it says this, if you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your belongings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. There's a blessing and there's a curse, and the blessing comes when we follow God and we love God and we pour our hearts into God. And he says, look, if you want to turn your back on me, there will be a curse. And I believe the reason we don't always reflect the things of God is because we don't always set our hearts on the things of God. We, we easily separate our spiritual lives from our social lives. Our, our, our time at church is just that. That's our God time, but outside these doors, we're going to live as we want to live. We easily separate these two lives. And here's the danger, and I, and I think they get into it here. Here's the danger is that our children see how we live our lives. Whether we want them to, we impress on our children what's important by how we live our lives. And this brings us to the second thing, and how we love God. We need to take the love of God into our homes. We need to take God's heart, God's heart to our home. See, I believe the family, the family is God's design for discipleship. See, he says, we should be discipling our kids. And here in Deuteronomy, he says, these things, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He says, impress these things on your children. Uh, What do we impress our children with? Do we impress our children? Other translations say, you know, teach them diligently or write them on the hearts of your children. And whatever the translation, the idea is the same that we need to work to make sure our children know the love of God and how to love God back. Moms and dad, we, we have a responsibility. And it's not just, you know, from the New Testament. This is old school here where Moses is saying, look, families, you've got a responsibility to impress these laws, to impress these commandments on your children, make sure your children understand 
what is going on. See, whatever I do, I want people to know that I love God. I, I think I've passed that barrier to say, it's okay for me to be weird. It's okay for my children's friends to know I'm weird. Isn't that the role of a dad, fathers, to annoy your children to where they think, Dad, you're so weird. But here's why I get weird. I don't care who's over. If they're having dinner with us, we're going to pray before we have dinner. Because I want my children, I want their friends to know that God provided this food, not just Walmart. And so I'm not afraid to share, God, thank you for this that you've given us. I'm not afraid to be called Pastor Tom around my kids. My son's baseball team, they had a tournament last week, and I said, I've got to go to work. One of the kids said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh. And the kid says, so are you like a priest or something? I said, no, I'm just a pastor, and that's okay. And so I left, and after the service, I went back to his game, and I walked in, and this kid, this is our first conversation, was earlier in the day, second time, he goes, hey, how was church today? I said, it was great. Because we should come by and check out your church sometime. I said, you should. I'm not afraid to be weird in front of my kids' friends. I'm not afraid to impress on my children the fact that I love God. And you know what? If that annoys them, they'll grow out of it. But hopefully as they grow out, they grow out of it because they learn to respect the fact that God is worth loving. See, our homes should be identified as homes that reflect the love of God. Your love for God should be impressed upon your children. God's commandments are to be recited, not only recited, but discussed. A lot of times we, we should take the service of what we learned here, home, and to dinner, and to lunch, and we should talk about, hey, you know, Pastor Charlie said this, or Pastor Dwayne said this, or Pastor Tom said this. You know, things come up in the services, in the scripture, we should talk about it. Our kids need to hear us discuss God's word. The family is the primary point for discipleship. I'm so thankful that we have a church where we have a children's ministry where they pour into our children and allow us to come and be fed here. And we should take both those home and talk about what we've learned and how we can live out this God. I'm excited that we have a student ministry. We pour into students. We give them the opportunity to learn God's word, to know God's word, and to worship on their own. But mom and dad, that doesn't negate the fact that we have a responsibility. And this isn't just for mom and dad. This is a family thing. Aunts and uncles, you can influence your nieces and nephews to love God. Grandparents, you get the privilege of sharing God to your grandchildren. You can tell them how much God loves them. And then you get to sugar them up and send them home. You get the best of both worlds. But what an impact it is when we're able to pour into that next generation. We're able to take our children and our grandchildren and help them understand we love God. And when they don't even question, when they understand, you know, my father, my grandfather, they had a passion and love for God that was played out and lived out in everything they did. Now we're transforming another generation. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Dads, let me talk to the dads here for just a second. Think about the responsibilities we have, Dad, of training our children. You know, it's not that mom doesn't have responsibility, but dads, we have this, this huge burden on our shoulders to make sure that we are modeling for our children what love looks like. Love for our spouse, love for our God. And it's not something that we should force upon them. We shouldn't threaten them about how they should love God. In fact, Ephesians 6, 4, this says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
instead of trying to force our kids into loving God through discipline of force, and here's what I mean by that. Several years ago, you know, I spent many years as a student pastor, and I got this phone call one day. And on the other line was this father who explained to me that their child had gotten in trouble in school. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, we decided, her mother and I decided that for punishment, she needs to spend four weeks going to your youth program. I was like, awesome. I'm glad I could be your child's discipline. But bring it on. So they drop the kid off. The kid shows up at the youth group. We have a fun Wednesday night at youth group. The kid had a great time. And she, she learned about God. She learned about what it is to have a relationship with God. And she goes home and she tells her parents, hey, I can do four weeks of this. This is great. I enjoyed going. The father calls me the next day and said, that didn't work. She won't be back. And I'm like, first of all, student ministry isn't about or disciplining your kid. It's about coming alongside you, mom and dad, and helping to disciple your kid. See, we're not supposed to just force it on. Instead of trying to force our kids into loving God through discipline or force, we need to show our kids how to love God. And, and this takes us from, you know, not just opening up Scripture at home or praying with them at home. It takes us to the opportunity where they've got to see us struggle. They have to see us stumble and fall and get back up again and get back in the game because when they step out of our homes and they start living on their own, they're going to stumble, they're going to trip, and they're going to fall. Spiritually, they're going to scrape their knees, and they've got to learn to get back up again. So he says, impress these things on your children. Let them know that you are madly in love with God. There's no greater legacy we can have, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, and uncles, than to leave a legacy with that next generation that passionately loves God. So we have God's heart to our heart, God's heart to our homes, then we have God's heart to our community. See, we're not just here to take up space. In fact, he, he, he addresses this when he says, look, in, in, in verse 8, he says, these things, these commands, tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what he's talking about, and if you understand the Jewish tradition, he's talking about the, the phylacteries and, and the mezuzahs, okay? So if you go to Israel, if anyone's going to take that trip, you go to the Western Wall, you will see traditional Jewish men at the wall, and they will have the, the phylacteries on their head, and they will have the bindings on their arms, and in there they have the scriptures, and they're living out this verse where they say, these things need to be in front of us. We need to be set apart and understand that we are putting God's word in front of us. They're living it out. And then they had the mezuzahs on the door frames. And they had the same verse in the mezuzah. It's a blessing for the house. And as you're coming, you're going, you're blessing the house, and you're blessing as you go. And he's saying, look, these things, there's a symbol that are to be on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames, on your houses, and on your gates. This is so that you will know that as you're coming and going, you are separated, you're set apart, you are my people. And so that leaves me wondering, if we're supposed to take God's heart to our community... Does our community even know that we love God? If we're supposed to live this out, do, do our neighbors know that we love God? Do our coworkers know that we love God? Or are we gotten so good at compartmentalizing our love for God that it's just for the weekends, it's just for service, instead of living it out all the time? Man, what, what a world we would live in if we knocked on our neighbor's door and said, hey, how can I pray for you? 
hey, how can I help you? How can I share with you? If our coworkers knew that they could come to us in their time of need. And for some of us, this might be what's going on. And in your, your offices, they might know, hey, I can go to so-and-so because they'll always pray for me. But as a community, do, do people know that we're madly in love with God? Our lives are to be identified as living testimonies to the love of God. Our homes are to be identified as homes that belong to God and that share the love of God. Proverbs 3, 33 says this, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteousness. Do our neighbors know that we're Christians? Do they know about our love? Do we share our love for God with the people around us? Is God's love in us? Is God's love in our homes? Is God's love all around us? Are we sharing that? Because he's calling you to be the light of the world. And, and this is the why. This is the why that it's important. It's important because our lives reflect what's in our heart. And we live in a world that desperately needs to hear of the love of God. I've said that over and over. God's love needs to be known. Amen? We have the answer for a world that needs it. And a lot of times we just clam up and we get silent instead of sharing it. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, a failure in loving God is a failure in serving God, obeying God, observing God, and turning to God. And when we fail in these things, we keep an unbelieving world wondering if it's even worth having a relationship with God. It's not about how we compartmentalize our lives. It's how we live out the love of God. So let me close with the same question I started with. What or whom do you love? And how do you show it? See, maybe you know that you've strayed from this love. Maybe you know that you've turned your back on this love or maybe you're struggling to actually solidify this love and maybe it's time to have that heart-to-heart with God. It's time to DTR your relationship with God. It's time to define that relationship. And, and, And you know what? Here's the cool part about God. We can never stray so far that he won't accept us back. We can never... Get so far away from God. See, we may remove our hand from his, but he never removes his hand from us. There's nowhere we can go that we can hide from him. Our sins are not too great for him. You know, God is not like human. God is God, and I thank God that he's God, and I'm not. See, we put up with only so much, and we say, I've had enough. Where God keeps taking and taking it because he says, I love you so much, I just want you. To love me back. I want you in my life. I want you to know me. I want you to be with me. Since the beginning, all he wanted is for mankind to love him back. I ask you to bow your heads with me.